und herzlich willkommen bei Multilingual Stories. Mein Name ist Dr. Bettina Gruber und ich bin die Linguistin. Ich unterstütze voller Begeisterung mehrsprachige Familien mit Herz und Verstand auf ihrem individuellen Weg, damit ihre Kinder alle Familiensprachen erfolgreich und mit Leichtigkeit lernen können. In meinem Podcast bekommst du sehr persönliche Geschichten von Mehrsprachigkeit aus der ganzen Welt zu hören. Lehn dich zurück und lass dich inspirieren. Wie schön, dass du heute wieder dabei bist bei Multilingual Stories. Wenn dir meine Arbeit gefällt, dann unterstütz mich doch gerne mit einem Kommentar und einer Bewertung in der Podcast-App deiner Wahl. Ich freue mich riesig, wenn ich dort von dir lese. Jetzt geht's gleich los mit der heutigen Folge. Heute stelle ich dir eine Freundin und Kollegin von mir vor, die Sandhya Sundarasan. Die Folge wird heute auf Englisch stattfinden. Ich wünsche dir ganz, ganz viel Spaß damit. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Multilingual Stories, which is going to be another episode in English. And I'm super excited to have a colleague and friend of mine as a guest here because I'm pretty sure I'm going to hear some things that I have never heard before from her. This is Dr. Sandhya Sundaresan. We practiced that before. <laughs> hey, Sandhya. Welcome to my podcast. Do you want to introduce yourself briefly to our listeners? Sure, sure. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, so uh, my name is Sandhya and like Bettina, I also have a PhD in linguistics. I am a uh, researcher here in um, Germany. I work at the University of Göttingen, but I live in Berlin with my husband, who is also a linguist, and uh, eight-month-old daughter, uh, Lila. And um, in a few months, we'll be moving to the US. My husband's American. I'm Indian. Uh, we speak two different languages. He speaks English. I speak, uh, am bilingual in English and Tamil, uh, which is spoken in parts of South India. And I'm actually, um, we're both moving to, to New York in a few months, um, where we'll take up uh, faculty positions at uh, Stony Brook University in New York. This is so exciting. I'm so happy for you guys that this worked out. Um, so... But this is going to be, I mean, for Tom, of course, it's going to be a move back home. But um, you also have ties with um, with the States, um, aside from being married to an American. Um, but you did grow up in India, right? Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Tamil Nadu, which is a, a state in one of a big state in South India and uh, grew up in a small town called uh, Trichy or Tirchrapalli, which is where my uh, father was raised and, and brought up and stayed there till I was about, I think, 10 or 11 years old. And then we moved to the big city, which is Chennai or Madras, as it was called at the time. It's the capital. And uh, that's where my parents still live. And that's where I finished middle school and high school. And, um, and that's where I go when I go back home to visit my parents. So um, yeah, that's that's where I'm from. But uh, as you know, when you're an academic, you tend to go where the job takes you because there aren't that many jobs. And so um, I've sort of been all over the place um, for my education. But how did you grow up? So did you grow up bilingually already or did you only grow up with um, Tamil? So it's interesting because, you know, in, in India was colonized by the British 
And they left in 1947, which is when India got its independence. But the you still feel the effects of that in the language. So um, one of the common effects of that is that children who grow up middle class um, in an urban environment um, with parents who are educated and things like that, they tend to speak English from a very young age. And so I um, almost certainly spoke Tamar first um, when I was, you know, a year old or a year and a half, I'm told. Um, but I would say like even that Tamar was probably mixed with English mm-hmm. and probably at two or three, I already learned English. And so I actually find that I, I consider myself bilingual um, because I think in English, I, I dream in English, you know, I, uh, I, I, and for my work, I use English as the predominant language. Um, but, but even growing up, I went to a school, um, that was English medium, which basically means that all the language, all the, uh, so math and science and everything else is taught in English. And because it's a big city, uh, my friends came from different parts of India, each of whom spoke a different native language. So mm. I, one of my best friends was North Indian from Gujarat, and she didn't even speak Tamar, right? So, and somebody else was from Kerala, which speaks Malayalam, which is similar to Tamar, but it's not the same. And so we all spoke to each other in English as our common language. And so it's actually a very strange situation uh, because you have what is officially your mother tongue, which is in my case, Tamar, but every single person you see in this big city is going to have a different mother tongue. And uh, even people who speak Tamar as their mother tongue, you don't necessarily know how to read and write it. So I have a lot of friends who are Tamar speakers, native speakers of Tamar, but they're not literate in it. They don't speak or write Tamar. They don't know how to do that. I do because I went I took classes. But um, anyway, so it's just a mixture of different languages. And in my case, it was, you know, English and, and Tamar. And so I've always been, you know, not even fluent, but native in English. But then who spoke English with you? Well, like I said, in school, the communication was almost entirely in English. Yeah, but you said you already started like at two or three years old. Yeah, my parents. I mean, my parents. I mean, so this is one of the, and my grandparents. So it's really strange, but uh, it's almost like the older generation. So my parents both, because English is the language of, education for better or for worse, I would say probably for worse because it's got this prestige, but that is the language that if you go to school or if you have technical terms or you, whatever vocabulary you use, you're going to speak English. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even the Tamar that my parents and I still speak and spoke when I was a kid would have been code switching. So would have introduced a single sentence would have had Tamar words, but also English words mixed in. And that's a, And so I'm actually, we're actually communicating in two different languages um, at the same time. And so it's um, without even realizing, we just sort of switch back and forth, right? And so that is what I must have had. But I don't have a conscious memory of learning English. I don't have a memory of going in and being spoken to and learning, you know, you learn the alphabet and things like that. But actually learning English, I don't have a conscious memory of that. So I'm pretty sure I learned that when I was very young. Um, Fascinating. So would you say that English is your dominant language? It actually is right now. And I'm really sad about it. And the irony Mm -hmm. is the work that I do, 
I research summer, right? <laughs> it's it's ironic that I don't really have anyone here to speak summer with. Um, so one of the big um, challenges with summer as a language is what is, as you know, called diglossia, which is the idea that the spoken language is a completely different language from the written language. So it's almost like if you were speaking English and the written English were like Shakespearean English or like 15th century English or something, like even an English speaker can't understand that, right? So you need special education to understand that kind of English. And it's the same thing with Tamar, except, you know, the, the Tamar that is actually used in a written text or even just a standard elementary school textbook for little children to learn the language, it is not the Tamar that is spoken. Mm-hmm. And so the problem with this is that you cannot find books or textbooks that can teach you how to speak mm-hmm. the colloquial language. Mm-hmm. And so my husband has been struggling to learn this language <laughs> no. and been looking everywhere for books to find it. Yeah. And all the books are like, I don't speak like that. Right. Nobody's yeah. like that. And it's this different form of, you know, and and so um, it's actually called Sen Tamar or pure Tamar, which is uncorrupted by English and Sanskrit and all these other yeah. things. And there's a lot of political pushback against that kind of Tamar. So um, na- lots of native speakers will get angry if you use the colloquial Tamar for like a research purpose or an official purpose. So when I I do a lot of field work, as you know, where I write about dialects of Tamar that people speak, right? And I'm interested in how is your dialect different from my dialect and things like that and the linguistic sort of properties of those things. And for that, I need to go and speak to native speakers and say, how do you say this in your dialect and how do you say that? And a lot of times um, people will come back to me and say, of course, this is not the proper way to say it. The yeah, proper yeah. way to say it is this other word, which they would never say. They would never say it themselves, but they've been taught that that's the right way to say it. And they feel, oh, she's doing this for college or her research and it's going to be written about. And so we shouldn't talk about my dialect. We should talk about this official form. Yeah. form. And because of all this pushback, it's been very hard for Tom to learn the language. Mm-hmm. And so he can understand it and he can speak a little bit, but not as well, not well enough that we can converse with each other. And so there isn't that much stimulus is what I was trying to say. So I speak Tamar when I speak with my parents, but not as much. And so English is my dominant language as a result. I'm really curious to hear Tom's um, version. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the podcast um, conversation is going to be tomorrow. It's going to be published the week after yours. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting what you say about uh, your fieldwork, because um, I did um, fieldwork for my MA thesis um, on the dialect that I grew up with. Irish, yeah. And I very distinctly remember I had uh, my aunt was one of the people I talked to and I got data from. And she was so self-conscious because she had exactly what you just described. She kept asking, is that correct? Am I saying that right? Uh, Because she constantly had this this feeling of, well, but there's this proper German, like what you hear on the news and what's written in the papers. Exactly. And what I speak is completely different. It's exact, you know, I think the situation is... Hochdeutsch, right? I mean, that is yeah. like it's higher than exactly so um, i think that the the situation per se um is probably very different for tamil and you know my bavarian dialect but like the internal 
um, um, state of the people yeah. speaking. Yeah. It seems, you what know, at least for the older good. generation, yeah. seems very similar to me. It really reminds what is it? me. Mundisch or? Kamunden dialect, yes. Dialect. Yeah. That's what I called it then because, you know, nobody actually looked into that. So I just, you know. That's um, so fascinating. Um, yeah, and it's like that, but but not only for a dialect, it's like even if whatever colloquial thing you speak, you'll have people come and say, oh, and, and then there's also like the pushback of like, oh, we're, you know, we don't want Sanskrit loanwords because a lot of the colloquial speech incorporates Sanskrit words and um that is considered impure because you know it's like we have our status and they have their status and we should speak our pure language and so i would actually get scolded by these people and say why did you say that i said such and such and the proper wow. word you should have said this and i'm like i'm interested in what you're actually saying right mm-hmm. um so but that's that's the sort of unfortunate thing is there is such a prestige value to english um that and and the diglossia, which means that I don't get to actually speak colloquial mm-hmm. Tamar as much. And I do it as much as I can with my parents. But this is a worry that I actually have with our daughter, right? I'm like, I want her to learn Tamar. It's very important to me, not only as a linguist, as somebody who's working on this, but, you know, I mean, you know this very well. It's very important for her to have that input. And mm-hmm. I've been forcing myself to speak to her in Tamar, but it feels so strange to me to do that, you know, because it's not natural yeah. for me. To so let me give you an idea. Okay. Something yeah. that works amazingly for, you know, like everybody I've worked with so okay. far. Is yeah, yeah, please. What you, you, what you don't want, I mean, books would be amazing, but you don't have that in the colloquial. But what you really want is audio input. Okay. So what you want is like a radio station or a, what? a radio station okay. or a podcast or movies. Are there movies or series? In totally public? movies. Yeah, that's a great idea. And the, um, the thing yeah. is, if you, you need to really look after your own input. Um, and it, it's funny, but it seems to be the case that if you have audio input, it's much easier for the language to come out as well. So written is good, you know, for your vocabulary to increase that because it's a different way of processing. But the audio input, like I have moms who, you know, they they switch their morning yoga sessions um, to doing, to following videos, to t- video tutorials in their native language That's instead amazing. of English. And then it's much easier for them to speak, say, German with their kid or right before they pick up their kids from kindergarten, you know, they listen to a podcast and then it's much easier for them to speak the language. Oh, the podcast for me to listen to, so I'm used to it, or the podcast for the kid to listen to? For you. For, for me. For you. Ah, okay. So, so what, what most people neglect or don't think about when they think about passing on a language is that, you know, you can improve your own language skills. Totally. And Tamil has been neglected for you, you know, naturally, because that's your circumstances. Uh, But you can do a lot to actually improve that even with, you know, it's great talking to your parents. Of course, that's ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But not only that, but also if you listen to radio stations or podcasts or series, what you get is the current Tamil that's been spoken. Oh, that's totally correct. I mean, does it matter that it's a different dialect? Because I speak a very particular dialect and those, it's not the mainstream dialect. 
that's, I mean, you know, does it matter? It's going to influence you. Like, you know, like you speak an American English now, which you surely didn't do when you were growing up in India. So that might change. The question is, you know, what do you want to pass on to your daughter? And maybe you just have to take what you can get. Absolutely. You know, that's up to you. You're absolutely right. And and you mentioned books and we actually have a few storybooks for her that we got um, that are like um, German Thummer and English Thummer. Yeah, which is super awesome. But of course, the Thummer that they use is the highfalutin Thummer that nobody uses. It's still, like you said, take what you can get. Right. But one of the things that I really want to do that I was thinking was it would be great for me to write like a colloquial version of those books, right? Yes. Oh, and people would love that, Sandhya. People would love that. Um, I'm starting to work with a Tamil family, actually, um, next week for three months. And their daughter is um, older. She's, oh my God, how old is she? 13, I think. And she's really interested in it and she wants to speak it. But, you know, they have their situation is exactly what you described. There's a lot of switching and mixing and back and forth. They're both Tamar speakers? Both, yeah. So well, they, at least they speak to each other in Tamar. So she's they do, that. but there's so much code switching in there. There's so much English in there. Um, and their daughter understands a lot, but she doesn't really speak it, yeah. but she would yeah. like to. So now we're going to work on that. That's amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. That's yeah. great. Um, yeah, no. And, and Tom feels bad because he's like, you know, um, I want to be able to contribute to this and he's made an effort, but, uh, I'm thinking your podcast idea is actually really good. I should have him listen to podcasts too. That'll help him as well. And I'll absolutely talk about that with Tom tomorrow because the other thing, you know, as you know, I'm also the, you know, I'm the majority speaker in our family. So, um, what I find is, that there's so much, it's like with breastfeeding, like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's, you know, often feel left out when there is still so much that they can contribute. And it's exactly the same with the language. Even if you don't speak the language, there's things that you can do. And that Tom is already doing um, that basically they set the stage for the languages at home. And that's what you want. You want to set a positive stage. You want to set a learning environment that's encouraging and that's focusing on what's there. So he's interested in the language. He supports it. He finds it cool. And all these things are contributing so much already. There are parents out there who don't have that support of their partner. Right, of and course. that's an entirely different ballgame also for the kids. Right. Um, because then they're caught in between. Right. So if right. you so have that's this. That's not the case here. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is amazing. I mean, two linguists in a family, you know. <laughs> No, I mean, I, I feel like that's one of the best things I can pass on to her, right? I mean, is is this sort of bilingualism. And like I was saying, like, I wish we also had the German input because we both speak German. And, you know, we, we you know, I just feel if she had been born five years earlier, <laughs> she would have mm-hmm. gone to Kita, she would have learned German. But, you know, um, we, we still have German books and things that we read to her, but... Um, you know, we'll we'll do what we can, but the the, the focus right now was on getting the Tamar and uh, absolutely, the, yeah, absolutely. So, what would you say? How much Tamil do you speak with her at the moment? I'm so little. Like I, it didn't even occur to me until last week. At some point, I'm like, oh shit, I should be speaking Tamar to her because I'm just sort of talking to her like a like a whatever, and it doesn't occur to me. Or Tom's here 
oftentimes the both of us are together and then we default to Tamil. We both speak Tamil, uh, sorry, English. We both speak English. Um, and then at some point I was like, oh my God, this is terrible. I, what am I doing? Like I should be speaking Tamil to her, but it's so, you know, it's so not natural to me. I mean, to do that, to, to all of a sudden bust out speaking Tamil, um, like it is with my, I mean, when I'm with my parents, then it's different. My parents visited for a couple of months, which was amazing. They came to help. And at that point, there was so much summer input because they're speaking mm-hmm. to her in summer plus English, of course, but I'm speaking to them in summer. And it's like you said, it's like this sort of ripple effect because the more it happens, the easier it is. And then the more it happens. Right. So it's, it was really wonderful. And, um, but then after they left, it didn't happen again. So now I'm very consciously trying to speak to her in Thamar, um, and uh, we'll uh, I'll, I'll take up your podcast idea as well. And your um, yeah. The other thing that I recommend doing, and that's you know that's basically where it all starts. First of all, you know, become very clear on your goals. What would you like for her in the language? Um, and then you need to see, you know, do you need to adjust the goal or the expectation or, you know, how can you adjust? I want her to be fluent. I mean, I want her to understand Thummer. I want her to speak Thummer. I want her to, the, the ideal situation is that she's bilingual, right? Yes. And I, I accept that English is going to be her dominant language. Yes. That she's not going to be raised in India. She's going to be raised in, um, in New York. And that's fine. But I want her to get a lot of Thummer input and for her to be able to speak that without you know then you need you, you need a few things what i mean the the you know it needs the input it's like you know you know it, 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 i don't yeah, need to absolutely. tell you about that but what you also need to put in place and the sooner you start thinking about that the better long term okay. you need methods and you need ways of supporting the tamil without it all being on your shoulder So she, you know, she's still too young to put her in front of videos. She's not going to benefit from that linguistically speaking. Um, But, you know, once she gets older, two to three years old, you know, see that you have enough input that you can give her even without you giving it to her. Um, You mean other types of input? like Other types of input, audiobooks, podcasts, music. Music is so important. That's also one of the things that you can introduce already now. Like, you know, make sure that all the music she listens to is Tamil, you know, sing the okay. children's songs to her. Okay. Um, and, 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 you know, when you're in the States, see if you can find somebody. I mean, in New York, there's going to be Tamil speakers, you know, see if you can find somebody who can, you know, look yeah, after definitely. I mean, the the thing is, my job, ironically, is not only as a linguistics professor, but I'm also going to be a Tamar studies professor, right? And so um, it's it's part of my job is to be connected with other Tamar speakers and promote the study of Tamar in that area. And so that's something that I plan to do. And there's already people that I will be talking to. And so I really hope that, um, you know, that will be a source of um, input for her. Um, they There is actually a Tamar language school that there's these very interested parents that are like, you know, we want our kid to learn. And so they've got this Tamar language school. The problem is that they are all sort of sold on the idea that the only proper kind of Tamar is the traditional written version. Oh, okay. And so because it's such 
it's it's honestly so drilled into their heads that that's the proper thummer, right? And it's it's got the status of, I mean, I'm sure their kids actually speak thummer at home because these are parents that are both Tamil thummer speakers. They speak thummer to each other. I'm sure the kids can't speak thummer, but they want their kids to learn like the proper pure Tamil version, that's the written version. And so that's what all this is about. And even now I have to sort of battle this kind of prejudice when I talk to those people and they say, oh, I'm so happy you're coming to New York and you're going to start Tamil studies and start talking about this pure language and this and that. And I'm like, no, I'm interested in what you're speaking. Like, yeah. and then they look a bit disappointed, like, oh, that's it. And yeah. I'm like, that is so beautiful. The language that you speak and the dialects that you speak are so beautiful. It's worth studying, right? But that's a revolutionary concept that, wow. that the summer that we speak at yeah. home, even with all its code switching, I mean, but that is the summer that you speak is actually worthy of study. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that, you know, I, th- I expect to have some challenges selling that idea, but uh, yes. I'm very committed to it. So um, if I can do that, then Leela will have a lot of input. And That's um, amazing. I would that love is amazing. That. And I, you know, I, I just love the idea of, of the opportunity that you get there to, you know, you're, yes. you're building a bridge to linguistics, essentially, you know, to everything that, that you and I, believe in or or fascinated by exactly I mean I'm so grateful to have that opportunity because you know independent of this I would still be doing the same thing I would still be working on Thummer I'd still be trying to convince people it's important but this is this sort of part of my job description is to reach out to the community and do outreach and tell people here's this cool language you know amazing Um, so I'm I'm scared and 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 excited yeah Yeah, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. And I'm very happy for the people who get to, you know, actually have their horizons broadened a little yeah, bit. Yeah, because exactly. that's what it's about yeah. at the end. And take pride in the language that you speak. Absolutely. Than thinking it has to be, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sorry to say this, you know, um, but your daughter has to be able to speak Tamil. Like, you cannot be that professor. Who started then? Oh God, no, no, I know, I know. It would be horrible. <laughs> it would be so horrible. Here I am. I'm like, you know, professor of like linguistics and and promoting Tamil, except my daughter can't speak it. Yeah, no, that's that's <laughs> that can't happen. <laughs> you um, give me a call, you know, when you need I help. I will. I will. I might actually do that. I mean, I'm I'm totally going to do that. Yeah. Um, it would, so I think, I think we should do that. Um, yes, we'll, we'll I think so too. At some point and yeah, get so your too. input. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I learned so much over the past three years. It's been three years now that I'm doing this work and I learned so much that, you know, really enriched my linguistic view that I had before. It really changed it and broadened it um, because there's so many different aspects that are important when it comes to passing on a language. Yeah. And it's amazing to see that unfold. And still, you know, always my linguistic background, it always comes into it. And it, it yeah. gives me yet another angle on, on the whole issue. Yeah. I mean, but it's interesting what you can intellectually know and what you actually do. Like, I know intellectually that my daughter 
needs this input. And yet, when it comes to the day to day, I'm concerned about is she eating? Is she doing this? Is she not? And I'm not thinking about, oh, I need to give her input. I'm thinking about all this other stuff, right? Why is she crying and this and that? And then I default to to English and I don't even realize that I'm doing that. So what you know you should do and what you actually do are very different things. And part of my struggle is actually learning to sort of incorporate speaking to her in Tamar as a natural thing so that I don't have to force myself every time to do it. What needs to happen is we need to tell your brain that Tamil is relevant again. Yes, exactly. That's what needs to happen. That You know, the the permanent suppression of Tamil needs to be lifted, basically. Um, And, you know, the side benefit will be that Tom's Tamil will improve. Also improve, yeah, exactly. You know, I sometimes say Greek sentences fully expecting everybody to correct me and then nobody says something. And I'm like, uh, sorry, was that correct? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know I had that in right, there. Right, right, right. That's awesome. And I basically acquired that. Is it bad Greek. if Tom speaks to me in Tamar, given that his Tamar is not amazing. as good? No, it's amazing. But she's not going to be corrupted by his bad Tamar. No. <laughs> no. She needs to get enough. First of all, at the moment, what's important for the language acquisition process is the direct interaction. Okay. I just read about this really a fascinating study. Um, so we know that infants like five, six months old already followed the eye gaze of the adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they ask the following question. We know that there are cultures who do not interact with their babies as much as Western cultures do. Mm-hmm. So what do those kids do? Because this gaze following is important for language acquisition because, you know, okay. object mm-hmm. referral and joint attention and stuff. And um, they actually did a study um, on some remote island, and uh, they found that the children would still follow the adult's gaze when they interacted with them, but not, you know, children don't follow the gaze when um, two adults spoke to, speak to each other. They only do it when, when it's child-directed speech, when you literally interact with the baby, then they follow And it's irrespective of the culture. So it seems to be some kind of innate process that babies are capable of following the gaze. So, you know, you speak whichever language with Tom. And if he speaks Tamil with you, it's amazing because, it again, it sets the stage differently for the language. But she will notice what I speak to her is what you're trying to say. But it's important what you speak to her. And it's important that she gets plenty of correct Tamil input. It's a balance, you know. Okay. Yeah. That's she will start correcting him soon enough. My kids love to correct. How, my how does it work? So your kids are fully, they're trilingual. Our kids are on the way to becoming fully trilingual. So um, Alexis and I, we still speak English with each other, although we speak more and more Greek. Um, but the kids are bilingual in Greek and German, but German, of course, being the dominant language. But now, so they've had, you know, they've heard English from the first moment, basically. But now the girls are in a bilingual school and the little one is actually in a fully English um, children's house and will then move into the bilingual school. So bilingual English, English, German. uh, German. Okay. Yeah. How does the dominant language work? In in what sense is is German the dominant language? Everything is German around them. You know, there's their schooling used to be only German um, up until... They're more comfortable with German? Yeah, they're more fluent. Their vocabulary is bigger. 
our children, all three of them are actually very eloquent. They have, you know, big vocabulary and they can sense the difference. So they know, but yeah, the vocabulary is bigger. The grammar is more refined um, and it's trickier for them in Greek to tell more complicated stories. I see. But you guys go to Greece. I mean, before the pandemic, you yes, went we and that was they got a lot of yes. input that way, I imagine. And on top of that, um, they started going to Greek school once a week. There's um, Greek school where you are? The, yeah, Vienna. The Greek oh, Orthodox really? Church where we got married, actually. Wow. Also offers, um, Vienna has all sorts of um, native language um, classes. Mm. It's one and a half hours a week. Um, and they, most importantly, what they learn is read and write. That's so good. I'm so yeah. glad. Yeah. And Alexa speaks exclusively in exclusively. Greek. Like he, wow. he does not ever, like I can, you know, it doesn't take me more yeah. than one hand <laughs> to to count the, the moments when he actually used a German word with them. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm getting lots of inspiration to do this kind of thing. <laughs> yes, that's the whole idea. That's the whole point of me doing all of this. Yeah, 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 totally. <laughs> to inspire totally. people. Yes, that's absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right. And so many people will take so much away from these conversations too. And, you know, you're not alone with that struggle. I have so many parents with exactly this kind of struggle. Um, the, the key is not to wait too long, you know, be aware of the struggle and do something about it because there's things that you can do and there's, mechanisms that you and tools that you can use that will make it easier for you and it will come more naturally okay yeah you should listen to my podcast there are some really amazing stories I, I was actually independently thinking when I noticed the 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 the, the mistake I was making in not speaking Tamar I was like we should speak to Bettina she does this like she yes. does this well. so it's sort of nice that we get yeah. to talk about this now um but I'll send you a message and we can yes absolutely we have yeah. to do that um, yeah. Sandhya, is there anything about your own bilingual journey that we did not get to talk about at all now that you think is worth mentioning that you would like to get out there that might oh, it's a good question. help or inspire someone? I would only say, I mean, if there are sort of other speakers who come from, let's say, a diglossic culture where this very complicated historical linguistic background where you are made to feel that one language is superior to another. And in India, it is, there's like three different tensions going on. There is English versus Tamar. And then within Tamar, there's the good Tamar, which is the proper learned Tamar versus the spoken Tamar. And so there's all this tension going on. And um, in a sense, English is the language of the educated And so people are judged, just like in England, you hear that your accent is so important and people are judged on their accent. It's like that, but with English versus Tamil. So in in India, in in Tamil Nadu at least, um, if you speak Tamil and and not English, people almost see that as, oh, this person is not as educated. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of sort of societal pressure and it's interesting, like I, I remember talking about this a few years back. When I go to India, it's very important to me to get as much summer input as I can. I get that with my parents. Um, but when I go out, for example, to a restaurant or a shop, I'm going to speak to um, in restaurant. I'm going to speak to the waiter in summer. 
and they will respond in English because oh, they wow. have been taught this is a high class, high class restaurant, and we want to engage with our clientele in English. And it's sort of like there's there's this almost like comical interaction where I say something in Tamil, respond in English, repeat in Tamil, respond in English, and it goes on. And at some point, I say. I'm insulting this guy by speaking to him in Tamil because he probably assumes she thinks I'm not good enough to speak English or my English is not good enough. And at that point, I'm just like, I don't need to do this. And then I sort of succumb and speak to him in Tamil and all is well. And especially because they see me with Tom, who is American, and then they realize, oh, okay, I'm going to speak in English. And it's ridiculous. So the only thing I would like to say is, you know, if anybody is sort of listening to this that comes from that kind of culture like you should take pride in the language you speak i mean take pride in your native language i mean it's a beautiful beautiful thing and um i i realize it's easier said than done and i'm not the one who is in a sense living in india dealing with that kind of pressure and so you know it sounds it's it's sort of convenient in a sense for me to say this because i'm educated Mm-hmm. I don't have to prove anything to anyone and if I am somebody who needs to prove something to someone um you can't fight the system all by yourself but I just want them to know for themselves at the very least that you know speaking tamil is not a bad thing it's a good thing and um you know just take pride in your language that's the only thing I would say um because I think very often um when you're bilingual I mean you know this better than me I'm sure but they're very seldom equal right i mean one language is going to be more dominant than the other and what i don't want is there's dominance in the sense of your kids where they're around it but they don't intrinsically think that german is better than greek or whatever but then there's dominance in the sense of i am exposed to this english more i also think english is better than tamil and that's the second part you 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 shouldn't have You know what is very common here and there was actually so on Monday there was the International Day of Mother Language um and there was a big discussion on Instagram as well and I I had a post about it as well actually so um what people say is like oh your kids growing up bilingually you know English and German or French and German how cool is that I wish you know I could have grown up like that and then there's this other case uh, where it's like oh your kids growing up with Turkish and German Well, will your kid ever speak proper German? Like, you know, Turkish, Arabic, Russian, you know, it's unbelievable. But you know what the beauty is that like, you know, the change I'm absolutely convinced. And this is why I'm, this is the real reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. The change lies within the families and with the children. So if we as parents manage to overcome whatever we were taught, brought up with, Yeah. and manage to pass on the languages with pride and joy no matter the language exactly what you said this is what our kids will bring into this world exactly i mean it's it's interesting because um i i sense that there are two different types of immigrant parents right i mean there is and i've experienced both i mean there's the parents that say i want my kids to not stick out i want them to assimilate to their environment and i'm only going to speak I'm, you know, so you're Korean or you're Chinese or or whatever and you're in the US and you say I don't want my kids to be made fun of for their English accent and so I want them to learn English, I want them to be fit into the society that we've moved into and so we're never going to speak to them in Korean or Chinese and as a result 
these children just grow up without it. And it's not only that, like Tom's, I mean, he can say more about this, but his grandmother, her parents were from Germany, right? And they didn't speak to their children in German. And as a result, she can't speak German or she couldn't, she's no more, but she couldn't speak German. And I've often thought like, what a shame, right? I mean, she had this beautiful opportunity and she couldn't. And on the other hand, you have, um, I see this with Indian parents a lot, where you move to the US or some other country and you're worried that your child is not going to get the input, but then you're worried in a way that makes you get angry if they ever speak to you in English. And so I, we have family friends that say, oh, you know, uh, our friends were in, in Ulm and, you know, their kids spoke German and these parents were trying to force them to respond in Tamar and the kids wouldn't. And they were like complaining to us, like, can you help us as linguists? How do we get our kids? And I'm like, you don't force them. Like, that's not going to help yeah. either. Right. So it's there's got to be a better way to do it that um, you don't stress about it in this way and make it like a point of stress in either direction. Exactly. So. This is exactly what I'm doing in my work with the families. And, you know, it's working out so beautifully that honestly, even I'm amazed. Still. <laughs> right. That's amazing. It is. It is. So you do it in such a way that it's just natural and nobody's sort of like. Yes, there's no forcing, no coercing, no bribing, nothing. It's creating an environment that invites the children to want to speak and learn and use the language. And what do you do with children who are like, you know, because my cousins, for example, um, they are in Houston and their children, they speak Tamar to each other um, and their children much older now, when they were growing up, they understood Tamar but they would not respond in Tamar. So my cousin would speak to her daughter in Tamar and they would respond in English. And it's almost like, God, like, mom, like, stop, like, you know, don't embarrass me by speaking this strange language. And so what would you do in a situation like that where the kids don't want to speak a different language? I have a lot of clients like that. um, And there is not one answer. Okay. I have to talk to the parents and then I have to find out you know, what, where is it? Where did it go wrong? What can we change? And we actually, we have a kid at home who doesn't speak uh, Greek with her dad, like our elders. She does not respond in Greek to her dad. She doesn't want to. She's very aware of, um, she, you remember it's a skeptical baby. Um, she is a perfectionist. And even as a little child, she was very aware of the fact that her Greek was not as, oh, you know, as natural. I see. It's not you know? a coolness thing. It's not like she's gotten to it. No, anything. no. It's because she was a, aware of the fact that it was that her German was was better. Better, yeah. But you know what this kid does? She steps off now. She steps off the plane in Greece. She flirts with the with the waiters <laughs> in Greek. You know, she speaks Greek left and right as if she weren't doing anything else. She speaks Greek in Greek school on Saturdays. She, you know, at school, at her regular school, you know, whenever there's a Greek word, she's like, you know, I know where that comes from. Do you know where that word comes from? There's a lot of Greek words everywhere, right? Okay. Okay. So we did instill on her a, you know, a sense of pride and a sense of this is part of me. We talk about it. Um, her little sister followed her suit for many years, only answering in German to Alexis. 
Um, but um, about a year, half a year ago, she stopped and now she's speaking Greek at home. Well, back he didn't, Paris. you know, insist that she respond in Greek. Never. He just never. kept talking to her in Greek. Never, never, okay. never. Okay. Oh, never. interesting. Never. That's really cool to hear. Yeah. Never. So this, you know, this is, this is a core in my work with the parents. You never coerce, you never bribe. I mean, they you say never that for feeding them. as well. Like anytime you coerce them, never. even with breastfeeding or feeding solids or whatever, that never. just creates a negative environment and yes. they just don't want to do it, right? I mean, it's just, they associate it with negative. Yes. And the thing is, you know, not, you know, every kid is different and the kids might not immediately respond in a negative way. And, you know, maybe as a grown up, they don't even care. But the thing is, we cannot predict how the children will react. And we cannot predict um, which bad long-term effects it might have. So I would never run the risk of using a method like that because I know that there's different ways of achieving the exact same thing with everybody being happy, everybody having fun. And with, with the lightness, I had, you know, I had a mom who spoke exclusively German with her kids for seven and six years. That's how old her girls were when she came to me. I started working with the mom. I only work with the parents. I started working with her. And after seven and six years of only responding in Spanish, after one week, we had the first sentence from the first kid. After two or three weeks, we had the first conversation with the second kid. And in the meantime, both of them are fluent speakers of German. That's amazing. It is amazing. It is amazing. Wow. That's so cool. These stories, they're all in the podcast. You can all hear them in the podcast. It's amazing. Um, And it's really just creating a learning environment that's positive. And a lot of that has to do with um, what the parents focus on, what the parents think about their language, you know, how the parents relate to their own language, how much input the parents themselves get in their language, um, how much. And the, the thing is, you know, In a sense, you know, bilingualism, yes, children acquire languages just like that. And yes, it comes for free. But, you know, bilingual stories are not always just for free. You have to put in extra effort. You have to put in the work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In the non-dominant language, in the language that's not supported by the environment. I think I was honestly a little bit arrogant about it. I mean, I think I thought, oh, I'm a linguist. Yeah, I can do that. We, you know, it's like... Of course, she's going to speak. I mean, I work on Tamar, for God's sakes. Of course, my daughter's going to speak it. But I never made the sort of simple switch in my head of like knowing it intellectually and sort of, in a sense, almost not worrying about it because I was just so casual about it. And then realizing, oh, shit, like I don't actually speak it. Um, How is that going to happen? And I didn't realize how much English is dominant in my day to day life. Um, it's so dominant and it's like my parents are the lone exception. Right. And when I go to India, there's a switch and I just become Indian for that period. And (laughs) that's different, but, uh, yeah, I, I, it's very strange for me to engage with her with my thumber hat on. You have Uh, to get used to it. I just have to get a matter of getting used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, I had a mom, she's also in the podcast, Mareike, she said, well, in the beginning, she started speaking German with her daughter again after speaking English with her for four years because she lives in the UK. And uh, she said, you know, in the beginning, it just sounded really awkward asking my daughter in German, bist du hungrig? Like, 
I haven't spoken to kids in German, like, you know, forever. And then she said, you know what? I want that. So I'm just going to get on with it and just. Oh, do yeah, it. no, I, I, I will do the same. I'm going to do it. It's not going to make me stop it, but it's just even just terms of endearment. Right. Which I'm not used to using. And then mm. I use it and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I sound like my mom. Like I sound. <laughs> of course you, do. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it's like she's my mom. Like it's weird for me to use those words. And mm. I'm like, I sound like an old person. And it's not a rational thought. It's just like this immediate thought that I have when I use these terms of endearment. Whereas if I use them in English, then it's like perfectly normal, which is stupid, right? But uh, you said something really important now, and that is key at the end. You know, it's so much about emotion and how you feel. Yeah. And what it does to you and what, you know, what connections you make and how you feel about the language and you know, whatever it brings up in you. Yeah. So in my work with the families, you know, there's always, you know, people come to me and they expect me to just tell them how and when to best speak the language. And then we talk about, you know, parent relationships and, you know, teachers it who really are being tailored to each person, right? And how absolutely. they engage with the language. Absolutely. I think for me, Tamar is a very sort of elemental visceral kind of language it's not my intellectual language mm. um like for example if i really really get angry if i really lose my temper i cuss and thummer right <laughs> <laughs> when well, really that happens angry. occasionally probably <laughs> <laughs> it's just once in a while <laughs> but uh you know everything else like the sort of thought out all the sort of witty humor and this and that and the big words and the vocabulary my research work all of that is in English even though ironically it is about Tamar it's the work is in English and so it's uh, very and and Tamar is sort of reserved for the sort of language you speak with your parents and it's sort of when you get angry or whatever right I mean it's I don't think of it in those terms and clearly um, it's important that I do. So, yeah. So thank you for, for helping me with that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) This is what I love. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. Sonia, this has been a really long conversation, but it was so inspiring. I'm sure a lot of people can take away a lot from it. So thank you so much for your time. Thank Thank you so much for your story. Thanks. I love talking about this stuff. So thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll follow pleasure. up with you about Absolutely. The- <laughs> I will not let you out of it anyways. Okay, <laughs> Thank well, you. Then. Thank you, Bettina. Bye. Bye.